Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. If you would, uh, open up your, your, your Bible or your pew Bible or your phone uh, to the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. And uh, I'd ask that you go to chapter 1. We're going to do a little skipping through the book of Acts, particularly in the first four chapters. If you're not familiar with the, with the book of Acts, it's the first 30 years of the church, the early church, when it was born. So Jesus' crucifixion, and uh, he was buried and for three days, and then he rose from the dead. The Resurrection Sunday we celebrate every year for Easter. And then 50 days later, he rose, or he, uh, 40 days later, he ascended to the Father, to the right hand of the Father. And 10 days later is this thing called Pentecost. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. But we're going to start in Acts chapter 1 this morning. Acts chapter 1, and uh, we'll, we'll start with uh, verse 9. And I'll let you know where we're going to jump around, okay? Would you follow along with me? All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After he said this, that would be Jesus. If you want to find out what he said, you could read a little bit before. But after he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They, the disciples, those that were on that hillside, they were looking up, looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white, a.k.a. angels, kind of sets it off, stood beside them, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now watch what happens. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walk, meaning it was a short walk. It wasn't very far from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Now check out who's present, because we're going to come back to this a little bit later. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, a.k.a. Nathaniel, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, would you skip over to chapter 2? We're going to see what happens. Ten days, they've been praying. They've been fellowshipping in prayer. It said, when the day of Pentecost came, verse 1, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that were separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Very quickly, I want you to understand that the tongues here are not to set off confusion. It's so that everybody can hear the Gospel. So basically, if we were in Honduras and I was speaking English, the Hondurans would be hearing my English in their Spanish. Make sense? It's not to create confusion. It's to create unity. So let's continue. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard speaking heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed. They asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Now, let's jump over. Verse 42. Chapter 2. This is the early church. This is the makeup of the early church. Watch what they do. They devoted themselves, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 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 Sorry, I went to Kentucky for a second. <clears throat> wow. And to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, common, selling their possessions and goods. I cannot speak today, but you're hearing me in your own native language. That's great. Wow. This has gone well. They gave to anyone as he or she had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Skip over chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 32. A little bit forward. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Father, May we hear what you have to say. Obviously, what I've been trying to say has come out very jumbled and jarbled. But Holy Spirit, you're very clear. And quite frankly, you're concise. So I ask that you speak into our spirits collectively and each of us as individuals as well. Because there are things in our lives that we're dealing with on our own 
that need worked out. But may we have one heart, one mind as well. Teach us today. Lead us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. A little over a month, month and a half ago, my my wife and I joined in uh, a celebration of life for uh, a, a woman who was 104 years young, Esther Jetter. If you ever met Esther or have the privilege to, to sit down beside her, you instantly became a friend of Esther's. She would ask you questions and then listen to you, but then speak her wisdom of the life that she lived. She was passionate about Jesus, and she was passionate about people. In fact, at, at 104 years old, her mind was still very, very sharp. And she was still very hungry to learn about people, about life, and about, and about God. And as we were sitting in this celebration of life at, at Fort Recovery Church of the Nazarene, one of her family members actually had said that the last time they saw Esther, she was reading a book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. And they quoted something this this wonderful woman who was a poet and a thinker and an observer of human life and God she she quoted Esther's writing and Esther said how much we learn by living but with each new experience finds us as amateurs how much we learn by living but each new experience finds us still amateurs. In a world full of people wanting to be masters or who think they're masters, that's our world today. Let's think about it. Augusta, Georgia, the premier professional tournament for golf is called the Masters. There's my favorite, Master Chef. These home cooks who are in competition under the learning from the world's greatest chefs. There's the Masters class. If you're unfamiliar, this is an online streaming opportunity for any person who's the average Joe, to pay $10 a month and you can learn from about 180 plus people in, that are best in their field. There is the mastermind. Now, I'm not referring to Tay Swift for all of those fans, okay? No, sorry. Mastermind is actually a master class to the nth degree. The master class is 10 bucks a month. The mastermind is like thirty to sixty thousand dollars a pop, where you can have a two-day intensive brain dump download from the top one percent of those in their field, particularly entrepreneurs and thinkers. In a world that people want to be masters or think that they're masters or carry the title master, that's our world, right? So it was just a few weeks ago that uh, I was on 
the pickleball court. So I, I've, okay, I've, I have to admit, I've, I've kind of gotten into this, this, this trend, I guess, of pickleball. Uh, it's kind of gotten the bug in me in the last, last couple months. And uh, my skill level is terrible. It, it's just terrible. If you don't know what pickleball is, it's a cross between tennis and ping pong with uh, a very hard wiffle ball that doesn't bounce very well. And a very, very small court. And so I'm out there a few weeks ago at open, on Open Tuesdays, and, and whoever is there becomes your partner and your teammate. And so almost every whiff that I have or miss shot that I have, I looked over to my teammate and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. It just kept coming out, and I was, I was trying to think through, like, why am I apologizing to this teammate who has the same skill level that I do? Maybe it's my people-pleasing that's coming out, or my competitiveness that just is falling flat on its face, or my ego that is bur bursting. But I just kept apologizing for all these missed shots. And I realized that I was actually trying to be a master when I was an amateur. I was trying to be a master when I was an amateur. In a world full of people who want to be masters or think that they're masters at something or even carry the title, how many masters are there really? Well, let's go back to Augusta for a second. Started in 1934. 89 years, they missed, or 90 years, they missed one year because of World War II. So, if you did the math, you would say, well, there are 89 masters who wore that ugly green jacket at the very end. Forgive me if there's a master in here who has the green jacket. I don't think there are. We're not recorded, are we? <laughs> but in fact, there were, there, were, there were fewer than 89 masters because some of them have won the title more than once. Master Chef has run 21 seasons, which means there's 21 masters. When we say top 1% in the mastermind, that's a select few of the millionaires and billionaires. Folks, friends, we're amateurs. You and I, we're amateurs. Let's stop pretending to try to be masters. The one thing that we should be mastering is ourself. Right? Not a skill set. Not a game. But ourself. So, today, our challenge is to embrace being amateurs. Amateurs. See, the early church, the early church was not a movement of masters. It wasn't. It was a movement of amateurs. Let's go back to that list for a second. Can you go back to Acts chapter 1? Acts chapter 1. Pull, pull your Bibles back out. 
Acts chapter 1. Of the 120 people that were listed, or that, that were a part of that moment in the upper room, there's only a few listed. So let's look at the few for a moment. Go back and let's read verse 13 forward. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter. Peter. Peter was a fisherman. And before Acts chapter 2, a lackluster leader at best. Let's keep going. James, John, and James, brothers, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, who at one point, these two fishermen were offended by Samaritan people and said, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire and brimstone on these people because they were inhospitable and offensive to you? Lackluster. Amateurs. Andrew. Andrew is Peter's brother. A fisherman. So, so far we have four fishermen. All amateurs. Let's keep going. Philip. Philip. Philip is from the same town as Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Bethsaida. It was a fishing village. So now we have at least four fishermen and possibly a fifth. Let's keep going. Thomas. Oh, he's that doubter. I got to give the guy credit. You heard me say it last week. I think he's a heroic pessimist. I don't think he's really that much of a doubter, but hey, anyways, he's the guy that we've labeled and pegged. That's the doubter, dude. So, so far, amateurs. Let's keep going. Bartholomew, a.k.a. Nathaniel. We meet Nathaniel, John chapter 1. He was friend of Philip, and guess what? Nathaniel was the skeptic and cynic that even the Messiah had arrived. So when Jesus actually had a conversation with this guy, he was like totally amazed that this was the actual Messiah. Let's keep going. Oh, there's Matthew. That traitor, that tax collector, that guy who's in bed with Rome, who was making his living off of the people's taxes because he forfeited his heritage, he forfeited the religion, he forfeited it all so that he can make a living. Matthew, that guy. James, the son of Alphaeus. What do we have to say about him? He was the son of Alphaeus. That's all we got. That's all we got, okay? All right. Simon the Zealot. Simon, he was an insurrectionist. He wanted to overthrow the government through any means necessary, which includes physical violence. If Simon the Zealot met Matthew, the tax collector, in a back alley, you guarantee Simon's the one coming out of the alley while Matthew looks like Al Capone took a bat to him. Let's keep going. Judas, son of James. What do we have to say about him? He's the son of James. Pretty much. What do we have? Amateurs. Amateurs. We have no masters. We have amateurs. What's it say? They all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women. Who are the women? Well, there's a long list of them in the Gospels. There's Mary, there's Mary, there's Mary, there's Mary. There's a lot of Marys. Which ones are they? Mary Magdalene, 
who Jesus delivered seven demons from. There's Mary, Jesus' mom, who, while Jesus was doing his thing, actually sent her sons in to get him because all of them thought he was out of his mind. There also is Mary, who's the sister of Martha. I presume Mary and Martha were a part of this group in the upper room. Mary and Martha are the sisters of Lazarus, who was dead and resurrected by Jesus. Mary and Martha quite possibly lived very unquestionable lives prior to Jesus. Who else? Well, there's Salome. There's Mary, the mother of James, probably one of those disciples. There's Susanna. There's Joanna. She's the wife of Cuzza who managed Herod's household. Probably the only master in the group so far because she's handling King Herod's household. Who else? Jesus' sisters. We don't know much about them. We don't know much about Jesus' brothers other than James, who wrote the book of James. But what we do know about Jesus' sisters and Jesus' brothers, they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was until after the resurrection. This is a list of pure amateurs at the beginning of the church. Quite possibly, who else might be in this group? Well, there's, there's Cleopas, who was on the road to Emmaus with another unnamed disciple who was basically going back to his old life after the resurrection of Jesus because they still thought the movement was done. You okay? Okay. Just want to make sure you're okay. All right. All right, I want to make sure you're okay. Okay, good deal. Then there's Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, probably the only masters in the entire list. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they were part of the Sanhedrin. They were making their money through religious means. They were the rich ones. But they defected from the Sanhedrin because they came out of the shadows into the light after Jesus' death and resurrection. Folks, 99% of the early church, they were amateurs. 100% were amateur followers of the risen Lord. There were no masters in the group. Not a one. Why do we pretend? Why are we pretending to be masters of it all? When the early church, they were amateurs. So, after the resurrection, Peter steps up. We read it and we started to read it in Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit comes down, envelops and dwells within their hearts. Peter stands up, gives the first sermon. How in the world does this guy give a first sermon when he's a lackluster leader? Holy Spirit. At the end of the sermon, 3,000 come to receive Jesus Christ. You can read it right there in the book. Then they baptize. Now, I kind of did the math. If there were 120 people in the upper room, 
praying for 10 days. Then Peter stands up on day 10 after the Holy Spirit speaks, delivers this wonderful sermon, and 3,000 get saved. If all 120 of those folks, including the women, started baptizing people, each of those 120 people were baptizing 25 individuals. But let's just say it's the apostles, those men who were leading the church. If it was only the 12 apostles, Matthias included, each of those 12 apostles baptized 250 people one at a time on that day. Amateurs baptizing amateurs. Amateurs leading amateurs. This was all new to them. They didn't have it figured out. Why do we pretend to have it figured out? Let me just tell you, we don't all have it figured out. Today, today's your day to quit pretending. Today's your day to be free. Today's the day. I referenced Jim Cimbala's Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I read that book 20 years ago. And I figured if 104-year-old Esther was reading Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala, you know what? Let me go back and reread the book. I'm three-quarters of the way through the book. Just arrived this past week. If you know anything about Jim Cimbala, or if you don't know anything about Jim Cimbala, you're going to hear it. He was a pastor, an uneducated pastor, who began to pastor the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church at the crossroads of New York City in Brooklyn. In a dilapidated church, literally the pews, like ours, were falling apart. In fact, in mid-sermon one night, four people crashed to the floor because the pew broke. All right? Inner city, New York City, where the surrounding community is addicted to crack, cocaine, and heroin. Homelessness literally outside the doors. Prostitution just a few blocks on either side. Homelessness, essentially what we can say is his community were people in need of Jesus Christ. Transformational message. The first Sunday he took an offering, it was $85 with a mortgage of $232 with a pastor salary of $0. And realizing that the usher was actually taking from the offering. This was a nice church, folks. Just over a little time, he became overwhelmed. In fact, it moved from overwhelming to depressing. On a Sunday evening, he hit his lowest point. And five minutes into the sermon, he stopped. He said, I can't do this. I just can't. I'm done. He said, 
The only way is if God, if we seek God. If we start seeking Him. It's the only way. And so he called the congregation. He said, hey, congregation of 30, 40 people. Come to the altar. And this congregation became a congregation of desperately seeking people. Literally, he said this. I want to read it because I don't want to miss it. I discovered an astonishing truth about God. God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need Him. As soon as they began to pray, that usher ran all the way from the back and just said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. God is attracted to weakness. Let's reframe it. God's attracted to the amateur. And let's redefine define it as he said, those who humbly and honestly know that they're desperately in need of God. Ten years ago. It was ten years ago this summer. My wife and I sat in the office with our district superintendent, Jeff Kunzelman. He's no longer a district superintendent. He's retired, moved on. We sat in his office because he wanted to have a conversation. You know, where are you? What's going on in your heart? How's your life? And for an hour, it was just this casual conversation, but you could see immediately there was this shift about an hour in. And it felt like an interview. I was very aware it was an interview. And as it progressed, he said, I go to churches throughout our district. I had no idea. I'm not like the Nazarene pastor guy. I I don't really knew how the workings of the Nazarene happened. But he would go across the district to all these churches. And those that had openings, he would offer resumes. He said, I've got two churches that are open. Send me your resume. I said, well, what kind of churches do you have open? Well, I have one that's dying and indifferent. Dying and disregarding. Dying and obstinate. You can put and whatever word you want there. They were aware that they were dying, but they weren't moving anywhere. Make sense? And then I have another that's dying and desperate. I said, give me dying and desperate any day. Dying and indifferent, you're just going to bang your head up against the wall. No one's going to want to move. You were the dying and desperate church. Walpock Naz. When I sat in the boardroom for the interview, some of you are probably going to get chills on this one, I guess. I don't know. Be offended. I did whatever I could to possibly to make them not want me. But 
But when we were sitting in there, they understood that they were dying and they were desperate. What's the difference? When you're desperate, you're an amateur. You don't know how to do it. You acknowledge it. We don't know how to do this. We've done all that. Sure enough, didn't work. We're aware in 10 years we're going to die. That was literally said in the boardroom. In 10 years, we'll die if we don't change. It's 10 years. It'll be 10 years this October. So, when Jesus was asked who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is, he looked him right in the eye and said, oh, pull one of the kids up. said, if you want to become great in the kingdom of heaven, become like one of these, like the child. Those are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. For whoever humbles themselves will become great. The greatest amateur is the child. You ever watch a two-year-old? They're soaking it all up. They're learning everything. They're the most teachable individual in the room. Because they're watching, they're learning, they're listening, they're soaking. An amateur is aware that they're an amateur. They don't have it all figured out, but they're desperate to learn. They're willing to learn. And they see this future, this beautiful future in their heart and realize, I want to become what my future needs to be, needs me to be. And it ignites something in their heart. Folks, the early church, amateurs. And you are sitting here today as a result of a bunch of amateurs almost 2,000 years ago. So what did they do? Acts chapter 2. Spells it out very clearly. They were in the apostles' teaching. A.K.A. Those 12 that knew Jesus really well followed Him. They told all the stories about Jesus. All the teachings about Jesus. And they were eating it up. They were fellowshipping. Now, let's be clear. Their fellowship was way different than a harvest dinner. Their fellowship was the express purpose of community, spiritual community, with communion, the Lord's Supper. And lastly, prayer. You ask any pastor who's pastored for any length of time, they will tell you there's not been one person that's come to them and said, Pastor, 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 I want to start a prayer ministry. It's not the glorious ministry, is it? 
but it's the most powerful. It's the most powerful. I want to have a daddy-daughter dance. I want to have a men's ministry. I want to have a women's ministry. I want to have a teenage ministry. I want to have a homeless ministry. No one asks, Pastor, we just need to pray. When you pray, you're desperate. You know you don't got it all figured out, man. So this morning, I want to call you to be amateurs. Amateurs. You don't have to have it all figured out, but you just go to the master of life. The author of life. Who does have it figured out. And he'll lead you. He'll heal you in so many ways that you never, ever dreamed. We can be amateurs because we know the master. Jesus himself very last hours with his disciples. Under all the authority that God had given him, took off his outer robe, started washing the disciples' feet. And at the very end of it, he got back up, sat down, you call me teacher, and you call me Lord, and rightly so. With all the power and all the greatness that Jesus did, had, he said, go and do likewise. Go and do as I've done. Be the amateur. I'll take care of the rest. So Wapak Nas, all this is great. This is good. But new chairs, a new carpet, new sound system eventually doesn't amount to squat. If this church doesn't pray. If you don't pray. If we do not take the posture of desperation and allow room for those who are just starting to enter into the room and relationship with Jesus Christ to feel like they can be amateurs, to feel like they don't have it all figured out. Because at the end of the day, 100% of us are amateurs. Embrace it, it's good. That means there's no failure. There's only learning. That means there's growth and not death. It means there's life. So, let's pray. What is it in your life that you need to pray for right now? And who is it in your life that desperately needs God to move on their behalf? Begin to pray for them. Would you mind doing that? Sandy, you can stay right where you are. It's okay. In the silence and in the quiet, I'm just asking that you pray. Would you pray? Go ahead. Have that conversation. I'll shut up now.
Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we were on your mind when you surrendered yourself on the cross. We thank you that by, by the fact that you believe in the church, our belief in you means we believe in the church, that we are the means in the mission, for the mission and the message, that you have sent us, you have called us, but you have called us to prayer. You have called us to call out to you. So I'm asking that you prompt your people to start to have conversation with you for the sake of having conversation with you, to get to know you, to listen to you. Father, may your spirit and the voice of your spirit become even more clearer for us to hear. And Father, may we move. May we not just be people of prayer, but people of action because of prayer. Jesus, we're asking that Wapak Naz on the corner of Court and Benton Street be of this place and this people of gravity. That your spirit draws the lonely, your spirit that draws the weary, your spirit draws the, the, the homeless and the hurting and the, the, those that are in need of help. Father, those that, that have the means as well to help. We're calling out and we're crying out and we're asking you. Will you entrust us with your community and with your people? Whatever that looks like, I have no idea. I mean, you saw the announcements, Jesus. I have no idea. But you do. You do. You have the grand vision. You have the big heart. And I ask that you move mightily on all of our hearts. And you draw us to our knees before we ever try to lead, before we ever try to do. And Lord, will you prompt these people, will you prompt us to pray, to talk with you about this church and about the people within the pews, about the people in our neighborhoods, about the people in our jobs, about our kids, about our, our friends and our family. Will you prompt us to pray? Even if we don't know how to pray, I'm thankful that we're amateurs. That means we just talk to you. We just have a conversation. We don't have to have it perfect. Ah, oh, because you didn't call the perfect. You rose up the imperfect. You rose up the uneducated, the unlearned, the unskilled. And those that had skill and had education, you used them too. Those that had wealth, you used them too. God, you used us all because we're all amateurs in following you. But may we grow and may we be desperate for your movement so that people can come to Christ and we can see miracles happen in people's lives. It doesn't happen when we just sing. It happens when we kneel. It happens when we ask. It happens when we pray big prayers, when we ask big things because we know you're a big God and you can do bigger things. Father, call your people pray. Call your people to call out in your name. Because you listen. You hear. You move when we pray. We ask the, all these things in the name of Jesus because we believe that you can do the things that we ask, Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. Um, before we break, I saw a little one come in. Are you okay in bringing? Yeah, okay. This is like a joy for me. This is Bailey and Lucas, and they're their little one. As I said, the great, as Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom of God are one of these. Man, this is so cool. Oh, we lost a booty. Come on, Lucas. You wanna you wanna introduce your little one? Father, I I just thank you for Ruby Lynn. God, may your favor rest on her. May your peace rest on her. Lord, she's a clear symbol of not having it all figured out. And she's got parents that don't have it all figured out. But she has parents that love her. That can lean into you. So I lift up Bailey and Lucas. God, may their relationship as husband and wife be solid and centered on You, Jesus. There are going to be moments that they just are at their wit's end and they don't know what to do. May they cry out even before that. May they allow You, Jesus, to lead their family. May Bailey and Lucas be a man and woman of faith where they pray together for their relationship first and then their daughter. May they be a strong foundation for their daughter and just have your hand in their home. Ah, this is such a blessing, Jesus. Thank you so much. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. How cool. How cool is this? Man, there are a lot of babies happening. All girls. Which means, folks, we need people to just gently care and love and pray over our infants in that nursery. If you have a tender heart and just want to love them, will you let us know? Because we'll, we'll hook you up. We'll hook you up. Get a background check and you can, you can just care for these little ones and speak into their life. Would you please stand? Thank you, guys. High five. And the Reds are doing awesome. <laughs> Man, it is a miracle. Those miracle Reds. Woohoo! All right. Hey, folks, we love you. And, and we're praying for you. We are praying for you. So this week, your challenge is this. Very easy. Be amateurs. It's okay. Invite other people. Invite other people to Jesus and their relationship with Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself? We love you. We'll see you. There's a bear out there that's looking for your orange sheets. So he's out there. He's going he's gonna to cost you there. Happy Father's Day, by the way.
Thank you for listening to the Wapaknas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you, and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.